We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Good afternoon, Notre Dame fans. Welcome back to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. It is Thursday, May 20th. My name is Brian Driscoll. I'm the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And today we're going to talk about Notre Dame's All-American candidates. But before we begin, uh, one of our listeners, Will, uh, Bill, uh, actually is a uh, former police officer in Norfolk, Virginia, where my uncle recently retired as a captain and they actually had some some carryover. And it's a very loyal listener to the show and uh, had a chat with, with Will, Will, Bill last night and found out that one of his friends, who's a police officer in Illinois, Chris Oberheim, lost his life in the line of duty on Wednesday. So I just want to... Uh, to let to let Bill and, and Chris's family know that they are certainly in my prayers and my wife's prayers and and all of those who support, um, you know, our, our first line of defense folks in our communities, the cops that serve our communities and serve our communities the right way are certainly people that uh, that I have a great deal of respect for coming from a family where I have a grandfather and an uncle who are both police officers. So just want to send our condolences to Bill and uh, and, and Officer Oberheim's family. So. I uh, just wanted to get that out of the way and, and discuss that first of all. And now let's kind of transition into some football conversation and and uh, want to talk about Notre Dame's All-American candidates. And we've seen a lot recently where you know, Notre Dame's had, when Notre Dame's good, they're going to have a long list of All-American candidates. And this year I expect Notre Dame to be at least a 10 and 2 team. I think they're, they've got another chance if a couple things can go right for Notre Dame to, to make another playoff run. I think their schedule is suited for it. I think they have person I think they got the defense for it. I have a lot of confidence in the skill players and the quarterback. I think if 
you know, the offense continues to evolve. If you see the offensive line make the changes it needs to make, I think Notre Dame's going to have another very, very strong season. If that happens, Notre Dame's going to have another year where they've got a long list of All-American candidates. Last year, there were several. You had Jeremiah Wusukoramoa, who was a unanimous All-American. Liam Eikenberg and Aaron Banks were consensus All-Americans. Kyle Hamilton made several All-American lists. Kyron Williams made several All-American lists. And we see it, we've seen it year after year. So I wanted to kind of look at who I thought the Notre Dame All-American candidates were in 2021. And these players emerging, what it would mean for Notre Dame and what it would look like if, you know, these players emerging as All-American candidates, what does that then in turn do for the Notre Dame football team? And then so we're going to kind of go with a couple no-brainer picks. So it's three categories, really. Uh, no-brainer picks, guys that I think have a good shot based on on several factors that we'll get into. And then I have a couple bold predictions. And then I, and then I have three players that I want to look at uh, two specific players and then one position where we could say, hey, maybe there could be a breakout this season as a potential All-American. So we'll get into that. And so that's going to be the, the point of today's show. And then, and of course, if there's any time that you all have questions during the show, please feel free to leave a super chat. Otherwise, I will answer all of your questions at the end. So let's talk about Notre Dame's All-Americans for 2021. There's two no-brainers to me. And the first one is Kyle Hamilton. And the reason I say it's a no-brainer is, a, he was a second-team All-American by multiple outlets last year as a sophomore. He's coming into the season with a great deal of hype and expectations and justified hype and expectations, and that is a big part of being an All-American. You have to enter the season with some semblance of, of recognition, and you have to be a name. It's hard to go from unknown, obscure player to All-American in a short period of time. And so when you look at Kyle Hamilton, production, check, uh, high school ranking check because that factors into it playing at a program that's had a great deal of success check and you enter the season with a great deal of expectation and hype surrounding you so eyes are going to be on you check and then you have to be part of in my opinion a, a strong unit in most instances especially for Notre Dame and I expect the Notre Dame defense to be outstanding so Kyle Hamilton is one of my no-brainer picks now Notre Dame needs Kyle Hamilton to play like an All-American in 2021. I expect him to do so, but they need him to be the anchor of the back end of that defense. And I think it's especially important for Kyle Hamilton to be impactful early in the season. And the reason I say that is there's going to be some new faces on in the secondary this year. And they're going to need somebody to sort of serve as the anchor of that unit. And not just from a play standpoint, but I think, I think Kyle Hamilton had an opportunity this spring to emerge as more than just a, a great player at Notre Dame. I think Kyle Hamilton not being on the field for practice this spring has allowed him to, to sort of emerge as a, well, how can you uh, uh, impact this team in different ways beyond just your play? And we saw Kyle play, showing a lot of leadership this spring. We, show him, we saw him with a lot of emotion and energy this spring. If you go back and watch the highlights, Every time that there was a big play being made, it seemed like the first guy onto the field congratulating that player was Kyle Hamilton. So I think he's also been able to build sort of a um, a leadership role of this this up this off season. And I think it benefit him. He he benefited in some ways from not being able to play. Number one, his body gets to rest a little bit because because he he had a very hard season, like most of Notre Dame players did. There was a lot of expectation for him. It allowed the players beside him to to get a lot of reps, and that's going to factor into whether Kyle can be an All American as well. Is 
if he has to be a guy that's covering for his teammates all the time, it's going to be very hard for him to to grade out the way and play and produce the way you need an All-American to play. And so I think that's going to benefit him. But as that new group of players gets going early in the season, they're going to need Kyle to be a vocal leader and a playmaker. And I think that this defense is going to give him an opportunity to do that. When you look at Marcus Freeman's defenses in past years, you know, linebackers of all are all always high up there when it comes to production. But what we saw in 2019 was their leading their leading tackler was Derek Forrest, who had 106 tackles. And he was a defensive back. They had another defensive back that had over 50, 50 tackles that season. Uh, you know, so we've seen defensive backs put up really good numbers in this defense. They had three safeties or three defensive backs with over 30 tackles last year in only 10 games. So this is a defense that's going to allow the safeties to make a lot of plays. And the other part is, I think that the way that Marcus Freeman has used his defense, there's a role for Kyle Hamilton to be able to be moved all over the field. And I think he's going to take full advantage of, of allowing that. And if you look at it from Marcus Freeman's standpoint, as good as his defense was in the spring, he didn't have his best player the entire spring. And so now you've been able to kind of figure out what you have with those other pieces. And this is where I think this is going to benefit Kyle, uh, Kyle Hamilton is Marcus Freeman didn't have the benefit. And I, I almost want to say the crutch of Kyle Hamilton in the spring, meaning, hey, we've got this great player. Let's build the defense around him. You couldn't do that in the spring because Kyle wasn't there. So Coach Freeman had to, to build around sort of everybody else and figure out what everybody else can do. Now he has a much better feel for who what he has on the defensive line, what he has a linebacker, what he has a corner, what Houston Griffith can do, what the depth at safety can do. And so now you look at it and say, okay, we have a good idea of what we have. Now we get to plug our best player back into the mix. And I think that is really an ideal way to build your your defense when you're a first-year coordinator is, is you got to figure out what you have with everybody else and you don't have the ad, that eraser that is Kyle Hamilton to sort of protect you. So you really have you really get a good feel for what everybody can do. Now you get to plug a player like Kyle Hamilton in and game changer. We all know that. We've seen it. And, and so I think in this defense – He's going to be able to get the production and the big-time playmaking potential to be able to be an All-American. The next player on this list is Kyron Williams. Again, Kyron Williams last year was a second-team All-American by Sporting News. He was a, a highly productive player. Kyle's a guy that returns as one of the nation's leading rushers from last season. Uh, he had over 1,100 yards for Notre Dame in just 12 games. He uh, Last season, he was – excuse me <clears> – <throat> Pardon me. Uh, last year, Kyle ranked ninth, or Kyron ranked ninth nationally in rushing yards with 1,125 yards, and he tied for 10th in rushing touchdowns with 13. And he also caught 35 passes, which was among the six or seven most of a running back, as far as I could tell, of returning running back. So uh, his his production last year was a good baseline. It got him, uh, you know, he was sort of the the skill player that everybody looked at and said, you know, that's what the offense is built around. It, it wasn't necessarily Ian Book and what he brought to the table. Ian Book served as a complement to Kyron Williams, you know, with his running ability and his ability to throw the ball. But the offense was built around Kyron Williams running the football. And he had a very good first season in the starting lineup. And now he builds on that. And I think we saw this spring, we saw Kyron looking in even better shape. He was in great shape last year. He looked stronger this year. He's got experience. He's going to, he looked to be a more consistent player. Uh, understand the need that sometimes the big play isn't what you need to do. You just need to get that two yards. I think those things are going to help Kyron. I think that 
the adjustments that we've seen so far offensively are going to help Kyron as well because his rushing should be able to be about what it was last year, maybe a little bit higher, a little bit less, but he should be still be in that range. But I think this year, ideally, we, we can see a situation where Kyron becomes a more efficient runner, which has as much to do about the scheme and the, the system as it does him. Uh, but you know, ha- having that, you know, I, I would like to see a jump in yards per carry. I think that he'll be able to stay fresher as we get down through the course of the season, assuming they use Chris Tyree more effectively and more efficiently uh, and have a nice rotation there. So I expect Kyron to be even even more fresh as we get into the season. And this was such a weird offseason this past year where you had, you know, the, the, the spring practice was canceled, fall practice was hit or miss. There were times when most of your depth chart was out with COVID. You had to cancel a game because of COVID. I think we'll be back to normal, uh, more of a normal situation this year, which is going to benefit a player like Kyron Williams. Because remember, Kyron did not enter last last fall camp as the anticipated starter running back. That was supposed to be Jafar Armstrong. Kyron was battling with guys like Sebo um, Flemister and Jameer Smith and, and freshman Chris Tyree for that that spot on the depth chart well Jafar was out early in camp he had some issues going on and Kyron stepped into that and immediately seized hold of the running back position and it became his very quickly so I I, the production is there but here's the reason I think that you you, we're going to see Kyron be on some all-american radars again this year is because we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I expect his pass game usage to go up. So even though his rushing production may not jump a ton, I think his overall offensive production is going to see a big jump. And and we saw that in the spring practices. We saw that in the spring game a little bit, but more so in the spring practices where we're seeing Kyron Williams lining up in the slot and beating guys down the field as basically a slot receiver. And I think that's only going to add to his his All-American resume. So I think those right there are what we can all agree on is no-brainers because, again, they were All-Americans last year. And there's no reason to think or expect that they won't be on All-American radars coming back in, in 2021. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. 
Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. So there's there's two other players that I look at and say these guys have good, really good opportunities to be all Americans. These are good shot players, and that is tight end Michael Mayer and offensive lineman Jarrett Patterson. And I think the reasons for these two are no brainers. There, there's two two primary reasons. One is they're both talented, and the other is they both are at positions that Notre Dame is going to always get a benefit of the doubt when a player's good there. When you look at tight end, Michael Mayer, you know, Notre Dame's tight end, you and all that, he had a brilliant first season at Notre Dame. Uh, you know, he's a guy that that really produced at a at a really strong clip just last year as a true freshman. You know, his 42 catches last year, from from what I can have, was able to gather, ranked six nationally among tight ends with 42 catches. His 450 receiving yards ranked 10th among all tight ends last year, and several of those tight ends are no longer in college football. So, you know, Michael Mayer enters the season playing a position that's going to be in the spotlight. He plays a he plays at a school that's known for producing top tight ends. He had a, he was a first team freshman All American last year, so he's going to have a lot of the similar hype about him going into year two that Kyle Hamilton had last year. And Michael Mayer had more production as a first year player than Kyle Hamilton did. So I think he's obviously a guy that's going to be on people's radars, and it's a good tight end year nationally. But Michael Mayer to me is as talented as anybody on 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 the board. And I think if again, if Notre Dame makes the changes that I believe they're going to make offensively, I think that's going to put Michael Mayer in a position to have even more production. I don't know if the catches are going to improve a ton because he he caught a lot of passes last year. So I don't know if that part of his game is necessarily going to improve a ton. I mean, you know, look, you look at Kyle Pitts, and you know, in eight games he had, you know, he had forty three catches. If you if you add that if he plays as many games as, as Michael Mayer played, he would have had, you know, about 60 catches and he was the best tight end in the country last year. You know, Tyler Eifert, when he had his phenomenal seasons at Notre Dame, caught in the 50s and 60s. So I, you know, I don't think this is a situation where Michael Mayer is going to go out there and, you know, catch 75, 80 passes. You know, maybe, maybe he does. But, you know, again, Tyler Eifert caught 50 in 2012 and he caught 63 in 2011. So I don't see Michael Mayer being an 80 catch guy like maybe you might see in sort of a flex tight end type of situation. But I think he's going to be, be a, at least a 45-plus catch guy. But where his production, in my opinion, is going to see a jump is in two areas. Number one is yards. And he was mostly used in the short to intermediate zones last year. He was a guy that caught a lot of crossing routes, caught a lot of option routes, caught a lot of slide routes. You know, a lot of the stuff he caught was within 10, you know, 11, 12 yards and in from the line of scrimmage. And so, you know – Part of his what impressed me so much about his production is despite that, he still had over 10 yards of carry because he was as good as I've seen a tight end, especially a tight end with his body type, when it came to um, being able to make people miss after the catch. And you don't see 240 plus pound guys go out and have the success that Michael Mayer had last year when it comes to making plays after the catch. I mean, he was very, very impressive in that regards. And so I think. That's an area when I look at, at Michael Mayer, I, I say to myself, like, look, he he does things that just not a lot of other guys can do. And that's something to me that 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 I really say, boy, this is something that we could see a big jump next year. And I think one of the big things is, is not just improvement in those areas, but if they use him more effectively. And I was looking at some pro football focus numbers last year, and they had him down as being targeted just three times just three times 
on throws that were 10 yard that, that were 20 yards or deeper down the field. Now, the only time he caught a pass beyond 20 yards that per their statistic was actually a 14-yard touchdown pass that they counted as 20 yards because it was caught and it was a 14-yard play, but it was caught in the back of the end zone. I believe that was against Pittsburgh. So, I mean, this is just – he was not a down-the-field weapon last year. I don't think he lacks the ability to be a down-the-field weapon. I think that's just what the offense was. We saw in the blue-gold game that there were two catches beyond 20 yards by tight ends, or I believe two. Uh, uh, George Tack has definitely had one. And I thought Mitchell Evans's drag route was close to 15, 20 yards as well. So I I really expect him to, to, to be targeted a lot more – down the field 15 plus yards and I think that is a part of his game that he could thrive at not just seam routes but deep ends deep drags corner routes getting him in isolations moving him around I'd like to see them put Michael Mayer backside at times and put three receivers to the right we saw we showed a play from that from the blue gold game um, and give them an opportunity to say hey you know this is this is what we're going to do we're going to bang him with some deep cuts we're going to hit him with some corner routes some goal routes some fades and depending on what you do personnel wise is going to dictate what we're going to do scheme wise i mean if you want to put a cornerback on michael mayer backside then we're going to hit you with some out cuts some back shoulders and and plays like that if you want to put a linebacker on him or a safety on him then there's some stuff you can do down the field with michael mayer so i think those are things that i expect to see more from him so i think his Yards production is going to go up, but I also expect his touchdowns to go up. At least it should. When you look at how bad Notre Dame was in the red zone last year, especially when it came to scoring touchdowns in the red zone, and you look around your offense and you say, hmm, I've got this 6'5", 240-plus-pound chiseled athlete who is a phenomenal pass catcher, can A, make plays after the catch, and B, has tremendous ball skills. Maybe we might want to use him in the red zone a little bit more. And I think that we're going to see that. And now, I'm not, not criticizing the staff for not using him more last year. He was a freshman, and you don't necessarily want to build your entire offense around a freshman. And I think that there were some things they wanted to do a little differently last year that I think they're going to adjust and adapt. But now that he's a sophomore, now that he is, in my opinion, your most talented offensive player, clearly, and he's established himself, I think now he becomes more of a focal point of the red zone. And I think we're going to see him become more of a focal point of the red zone. And that's going to be a big thing is – if he has 45 catches and he has 580, 90, you know, 596, 600 yards, and he has three or four touchdowns, he's not going to be an All-American. If he has 42 touchdowns, 42 catches and 500 yards, and we don't see a big jump in, in overall yards, but he has nine or 10 touchdowns, he'll have a chance to be an All-American. I think the yards and the touchdowns both can and will go up a lot. And I think those are the things that are going to factor into Michael Mayer jumping into the All-American conversation. And so Jarrett Patterson's the other one. And I mean, look, we've seen Notre Dame have all Americans on the offensive line when they stunk in 2016, Notre Dame went four and eight and Mike McGlinchey and, and Quentin Nelson both earned second team all American honors by an outlet. And Notre Dame was not a very good football team. If you're if you're Notre Dame's best offensive lineman, there's a good chance you're going to have, you're going to be an all American caliber player. And I think when you look at Jarrett Patterson, he's got, two things working in his favor when when you look at one the reputation of the offensive line at Notre Dame which we've talked about he is considered the best return he's the the best offensive lineman they have from a perception standpoint but the other part is he enters the season in with high expectations pro football focus for example now a lot of their rankings were pretty bad but they enter the season with him as the fourth best interior blocker in the country I think there's going to be a lot of people that are going to view him that way. And then if he can come out and play as well 
early on as he played as as well as he was playing when the season when his season ended last year, where he was really starting to hit his his stride and was playing at a high level. You know, then I think Jarrett Patterson's a guy that we're going to be looking at as as getting All American honors last year, and he he was an All ACC player last year, despite the fact you had Notre Dame was loaded with players, you had a lot of older veteran players in that league, still earned second team All ACC honors, and didn't play the last two games in regular season. So I think Jarrett Patterson is another guy that has a great opportunity to go into it, and I don't see him being overshadowed the way that like Robert Hainsey was by Liam Eikenberg and Aaron Banks. Yeah, you know, I, I think Blake Fisher will probably get a lot of a lot of hype justifiably because of he is a freshman. He'll most likely be starting barring injury. You know, he's a guy that big things are expected of, but he's still a freshman and Jarrett Patterson is still going to be considered the leader. So I think Jarrett Patterson's another guy that that has an opportunity to be an all-American. So this is kind of where it gets fun. All right. So we just kind of stated some obvious guys. I think all four of those guys are relatively obvious. And I was if I were to ask you, hey, Tell me the no-brainers of the guys with a good shot that you think have can be All-Americans. I'm assuming most of you would have said Kyle Hamilton, Kyron Williams, Michael Mayer, and Jared Patterson. But I had a couple bold predictions that I have for the Notre Dame All-American squad. And then I have a couple other guys that are sort of maybe on the radar but have some things to prove. My two bold predictions are both from the defense. My first bold prediction, and this isn't going to surprise some of you, especially those of you who have been watching me for a long time, and that's Jason Adamiola. When I look at Jason Adamiola, I see a guy that I expect this Notre Dame defense to be outstanding this season. I expect the defensive line to be the heart of this defense. And then I look at it and say, okay, well, who's going to be the guys that kind of stand out? Obviously, Kyle Hamilton's going to get a lot of a lot of hype, and and he's going to get a lot of. And when I say hype, I'm talking hype in a good way. I'm not. I'm, it's not meant as a negative. But that's what goes into being all American. You you gotta there's gotta be buzz. There's gotta be talk about you. And Kyle Hamilton's certainly gonna get that. But I think the defensive line is gonna be considered the strength of this defense. And then you look and say, well, who's the best defensive lineman? Well, I think it's gonna be Jason Adamiola. I think that that Kurt Heinish is is a steady good player. I think Myron Tungvalo is gonna have a good season. But I think Jason Adamiola is gonna have a monster breakout season. I really do. Uh, he's gotta stay healthy. That's the big you know, to me, the big asterisk, the big red flag for me, because he has missed games each of the last two years, especially late in the year in November. And that's with him playing 15 to 25 snaps a game. So I am a little concerned about he's got to go prove to me that he can stay healthy. But if he can stay healthy, and right now he is, so I, I can't I can't make assumptions. I just have to go with what I know. And what I know is, is right now he's healthy and he was dominant in the spring. He was Notre Dame's arguably Notre Dame's best defensive lineman in the final two games of the season when he came back from an injury. He was without question their best defensive lineman against Alabama. And he's a guy, to me, that is going to be a perfect fit for Marcus Freeman's defense. And we chatted a little bit about this yesterday, so I'm not going to spend too much time on it again today. But you know, he, he's the kind of guy that, <clears throat> in a defense that's geared towards your defensive lineman, attacking and penetrating and, and making plays in the backfield, you need you need guys that can make plays in the ball, and it's going to. And the, the the more important thing is this defense is going to give players an opportunity to make plays on the ball, and so you know I think he to me will be one of the primary beneficiaries of that. I think we're going to see him come out this year and make a lot of tackles for loss. You know he was Notre Dame's best per snap run defender uh, in 2018 and 2019. He was Notre Dame's best interior pass rusher last year. I think he's going to combine all that together and you know have a Sheldon Day type of of senior season and if you remember correctly uh in 2015 Sheldon Day who you know again what were some of the issues that Sheldon Day had in his first couple years he was undersized he 
had trouble staying healthy. If we all remember correctly, Sheldon missed games in 2014. He missed the last couple games of the year in 2014. Missed some games in 2013 uh, as a sophomore and as a junior. Well, then Sheldon comes out in his final year, and he was – the only time he really got injured was in the last game. He got injured right before the, the Fiesta Bowl against Ohio State, but he played the whole season. He had 45 tackles. He had 15 and a half tackles for loss, which I believe was more tackles for loss than he had his entire career leading up to that or close to. So he had see, eight, nine, 16 and a half tackles for loss in his first three seasons. He had 15 and a half as a senior. He had four sacks as a senior. He had 13 quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, four pass breakups, and he earned second team All-American honors. And I see a similar situation. I could see Jason Adamiola putting up similar numbers. Maybe – not quite as many tackles for loss, but more sacks. And and obviously, as we saw with Jerry Tillery, who had an All-American season at Notre Dame, you know, if you're a Notre Dame and you're a, really anybody, if, but if you're a if you're a pass rusher and you can get after the quarterback and you put up a lot of sacks, you're going to have an opportunity to find to get All-American honors. And we saw that with Jerry Tillery. Jerry Tillery was an All-American in 2000 and 2018. He had 30 tackles, 10 and a half tackles for loss. So significantly lower, less production from a tackles and tackles for loss standpoint than Sheldon Day, but he had eight eight sacks. And, and so he was able to earn All-American honors because of that. So Notre Dame has had All-American defensive linemen in recent seasons, and I think that this is going to be the next one. And they've all been interior guys. And I think I think Jason Adamiola, if healthy, can is going to be that guy. My other one is Jack Kaiser. And this is a little bit, I'm sure, going to – surprise some people because when you think of linebackers you know you think drew white you think you know maybe shane simon breaks out and he's going to be at that position but you know for me you know when i look at when i look at this defense i, I look at what position is going to give you the best opportunity to produce the volume of production you need to be an all-american and when i look at the other linebacker positions i think we're going to see a lot of production from the mike and the will the problem is going to be that the production is going to be split between multiple players. We're going to see Shane Simon and Maris Luafau at will. I think we're going to see Mike Drew White and Bo Bauer at Mike. I think they're both going to play. I don't know if we're going to see as much of a rotation from Jack Kaiser, at least not the way he played this spring. So then I look at it and I say, okay, well, you know, he'll have the best opportunity of the linebackers to to produce at a level where you, he could. You're going to get like basically a full season's worth of stats from him. Then you look at it and say, okay, well, what kind of production is this defense produced from that position in recent seasons? And when you look at the Rover position in 2020 under Marcus Freeman, the production was impressive. I mean, Jarrell White had 77 tackles. He had eight tackles for loss and three sacks, four quarterback hurries and two pass breakups and two interceptions. Well, consider Cincinnati only played 10 games last year. If you put put that production over the course of a 13-game season, so I'm looking 12 regular season games plus the postseason, he's looking at 100 tackles, 10 tackles for loss, uh, four and a half sacks, or four sacks, and three interceptions. That's really good production. The other part of that is, I think, number one, I think Jack Kaiser's a better football player than Jarrell White. With all due respect to Jarrell White, he's a good football player. Jack's bigger, longer, more athletic. And just a, a, to me, a, a more dynamic player. Number two, I think that Jack is a more, is a better cover player than what I've seen on film from Jarrell White. So I think Jack's going to be better, you know, getting making plays in the pass game, which is going to be important for him to have an All American caliber season. 
and the other part of it is 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 I think he's going to be a, a guy that produces even more. We've seen it from this defense in recent seasons. We saw Drew Tranquil with, with double digit tackle for loss numbers at Rover. We saw back to back years with Jeremiah Koromoa with double digit tackle for loss numbers as the Rover. Marcus Freeman sees that. He sees the success that they've had. The schedule fits to that to, to where your Rover is going to be in position to make a lot of plays because of the schedule that you're going that you're playing against. And so if Jack Kaiser can stay healthy, he's sort of one of my bold prediction guys that's going to be an All-American radar. Will he be an all first-team All-American like Jeremiah Wusukoromoa? I, I don't think so, but I think he's certainly a guy that could be a second, third-team All-American caliber player if he's healthy and if he produces the way that I think he's going to produce. So there's three other – there's two other players in one position I want to talk about, and I definitely want to get your your thoughts on this. So obviously in the comment section below, let me know what you guys think. I think the first player that I, I could say could potentially be on some All-American radars, but the reason I'm not talking about him as a – is even a – I'm not even predicting it. I'm just saying he's going to be on some radar – is Isaiah Foskey. Now, the reason I'm reluctant to put him into this category really is two reasons. Number one – I loved what I saw from Isaiah Foskey last year, but to me, there's a big jump from from that to an All-American defensive lineman. Because to be an All-American defensive lineman, it's so much about stat, sack production. And you know, he could he get to ten sacks? Sure, but you know, we haven't seen a lot of Notre Dame defensive linemen be able to get to ten sacks here in, in recent history. So I think that's going to be difficult, partly because number one, he has to prove to me that he can be that kind of player. Number one. Number two, is he going to get enough opportunities to do that? And, and I don't even mean opportunities from the standpoint of, you know, is, is he going <clears> to <throat> split reps of Jordan Patelho? That's going to be part of it too. But I think there's going to be a lot of opportunities going to be on the field together. But when you look at this defense, I think the sacks are going to get split up. I think the interior players, we just talked about Jason Adamiola, are going to get some. The big ends are going to get some. I think the linebackers are going to get some. I think Kyle Hamilton's going to have a sack or two this year with how I expect them to use him. So, and then I look at it and I say, you know, the last time Notre Dame had a guy that had over 10 sacks, had at least double digit sacks, was Stefan Tuitt all the way back in 2012. So there's just not the precedent at that position like we've seen at defensive tackle and as like we've seen at Rover. I mean, Notre Dame's had All Americans at both of those positions in recent seasons. We haven't seen that at defensive end. So I don't know if Isaiah Foskey's coming into the season with enough national recognition to be a guy that can can be an All-American with eight or nine sacks. I think a, a player like Miles Murphy at Clemson could do that because he's a great player, but also because he's coming in with such such expectations. For Isaiah Foskey, from for my opinion, to get on the, the, the All-American radar, he's going to have to have 10-plus sacks this season and have some big moment sacks, which he'll certainly get an opportunity to do. But then again, I, as I say, that's going to be hard to do because the opportunities are going to be a little bit more limited. So that's why he's not he's not in one of my three categories, but he is a guy that I think is worth mentioning. And I'm curious if you all think he's got a chance of being All-American this year. Here's one that I think is going to be very controversial because I think some of you in the audience don't even think he should start. And, and that's Jack Cohn. And part of me says that a Notre Dame quarterback is never going to be an All-American unless Notre Dame is basically undefeated, the number one seed, and really blowing teams out. Because I just don't know if the Notre Dame quarterback is ever going to have the production 
that you need to be an All-American. I mean, when you look at some of these offenses and, the, and the, just the insane numbers that they're putting up, and you start looking at what Notre Dame's going to do, I mean, look, if Jack Cohn came out this year and threw for 3,900 yards, that would make give him, what, the second most yards in a season in, in a, for a Notre Dame quarterback in history? You know, if if you look at last, you know the so last year may not be a good example because not not everybody played a lot of games. But if you look at 2019, there were five quarterbacks that threw for more yards than that. You know, Joe Burrow threw for over 5,000 yards. You know, last year Mac Jones threw for 4,500 yards. Kyle Trask threw for 4,200 yards. You know, Trevor Lawrence was on pace to have a similar season to that. So. You know, if you look at if Trevor Lawrence doesn't get hurt, he's over 37, 3,800 yards. You know, so I think when you look at Dwayne Haskins in 2018, 4,800 yards, Kyler Murray, 4,300 yards, he would, you look at Jack Cohn, he'd have to have this, the second best or best all time season in Notre Dame history just to get on the radar of an all American list. Now, Heisman is a little different story because that's a different deal, but the all-american list seem to look at you know quarterbacks for good teams but also guys that are putting up just insane numbers and so i think that is something that could keep him down and you look at spencer rattler at oklahoma he's going to put up numbers sam howe's going to put up numbers but i do think that that this perception of this year's quarterbacks is not quite what it was last year there's no trevor lawrence in this group there's in my opinion there's no justin fields among that group and and none of those guys put up the kind of numbers that that those players put up in previous years i mean remember in 2019 justin fields put up 41 touchdowns and three interceptions i mean he had an insane insanely productive season i don't know if the returners are going to do that so part of me also says maybe jack doesn't have the production that you know he's going to need to me, he needs at least 36, 3,700 yards and at least 30 touchdowns to get there, and he has to play well in big games. But here's another reason why I could say Jack Cohn is a is sort of a dark horse All-American player. If Notre Dame's offense becomes an explosive unit, it's going to equal more production. It's going to mean more completions, more touchdowns, uh, more yards, obviously. But here's the other part of it. He's going to have head-to-head comp- battles with some of the players that people are talking about as being All-American candidates this year. Desmond Ritter's getting some 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 love as far as a top five to top ten quarterback, first-round draft pick kind of guy. Notre Dame is going to face him. Sam Howe is a guy that a lot of people are saying is the best returning quarterback in the country. Notre Dame gets to face him. And then you look at USC with Keaton Slovis, who's probably going to put up really good numbers if he can stay healthy, and he's going to be in the conversation for All-American status. And the other part of that is Notre Dame gets all three of those guys at home. If Notre Dame A wins those games, and then B, if Jack Cohn plays really well and can can put up production that is somewhat in the ballpark with those players, and Notre Dame wins those games, then you know now you can maybe look at it and say, okay, well, yeah, Sam Helm had more production, or Keaton Slovis had more production, but Jack Cohn outplayed both of them. And he also outplayed Desmond Ritter. Oh, and he got payback against his old school and threw for 280 yards and three touchdowns and a win over Wisconsin, right? So that's why I, I, as I thought through it, I don't see Jack Cohn being an All-American this year for the reasons I mentioned. But I do think if there was a year that a Notre Dame quarterback could be an All-American, this would be a year for that because of the combination of 
not really established hierarchy. There's guys in conversation, but you know, with all due respect, Sam Howell is going to be a lot easier to beat out for an All American list than Trevor Lawrence was, or or Mac Jones was, or or players like that who just put up insane numbers, but also came in with with some reputation, either the school they play at or their own reputation. So I, I do think this could be a, a year for that. And then then you know, there's there's a couple positions I say players could maybe have breakout seasons, but I, I just you know, maybe an, a receiver breaks out and has a, a Will Fuller type of year. I, I just don't see that again. I think some of these video game numbers that some of these guys are putting up are just – it's going to make it really hard for a Notre Dame player to do that. Number one is because, you know, I think Michael Mayer is going to always kind of be perceived as their as their best player there. But, I mean, when you're looking at some of the guys that are becoming All-Americans – I mean, Jamar Chase was an All-American – two years ago he had 84 catches 1700 yards and 20 touchdowns i mean that's just it's ridiculous production justin jefferson 111 yards 1540 yards t uh cd uh, he had 18 touchdowns cd lamb 62 catches for 1327 yards and 14 touchdowns i mean those are the kind of numbers that all american receivers are putting up and i just don't think notre dame has a receiver that's on the level to be able to put up that kind of production so I'm, I'm I'm hesitant to do that. I think uh, <clears throat> you know linebacker. Maybe if, if Drew White plays more than I think he's going to play, he could maybe put up some production to get to get recognized as maybe a second third team guy. But then I think the more likely option, however, is sort of a breakout season from someone like a Cam Hart or a Clarence Lewis or or a Houston Griffith, somebody that kind of you know teams are that try to pick on because they don't want to throw at Kyle Hamilton. And that guy makes a lot of big plays, you know, makes six or seven interceptions or something like that. I don't know if I would have predicted Julian Love to be a, you know, a consensus All-American in, in 2018. He had a good 2017 season, had a lot of production because he got thrown at a lot more than, than you'd expect a top cornerback to, to be thrown at. And then, of course, comes out in 2018, he's an All-American. So it kind of took him a year to build that up. But, you know, let's say teams want to try to pick on Cam Hart and he's able to get, you know, five, six interceptions and maybe takes one back to the house or – plays really well in his battle against, you know, X highly ranked receiver. I think uh, we could see a breakout like that, but th- that's kind of that's kind of looking for somebody as opposed to just saying this makes a lot of sense for this player to be there. So that's kind of what I think about all that. D-Rock agrees with me. Cone has a strong supporting cast. I, yeah, and that's definitely part of it. It's definitely part of it. So that is my all-American breakdown for today. You guys let me know. You guys and gals let me know. Did I miss anybody? Uh, do you think I'm way off on some guys? Maybe you think someone should be a no-brainer. Maybe you think someone shouldn't be on this conversation. Maybe say somebody that I that I didn't list. So let me know. Let me know in the comment section. But before we go, we have a couple – looks like we have a couple comments here. I don't know if we have any questions. So we'll be getting done pretty quickly today. Matty K55 says, I'm so excited for Kyle Hamilton. This is this year, as long as he stays healthy, he can do great things. Early mock drafts have him as a top 10 to top 5 pick. And I think, Matty, that's part of why it's a no-brainer that to me to have Kyle Hamilton on this list because not just from last year, but he comes into the season with so much, so much hype and expectation. Kenny Moore says, I would love to see Tyree and Kyron on the field together way more, especially on third down. I agree. All right. So Nick Phil Manny has a, a question for me. Hey, Brian, hypothetical for you here with Tebow playing tight end in Jacksonville got me thinking how dominant would Mayer, uh, would, would Mayer have if he lined up as a wildcat quarterback in goal line situations? I would not want that. Uh, how would Mayer be if he lined up in goal line situations? You know, 
Number one, I, I, I wouldn't like that. I mean, I, I get where you're at, Nick, on that, but here's why I would not like that. Number one, he's about three inches taller than Tim Tebow, which means he's a bigger target. Number two, Tim Tebow had a long career history of running the football. He knew how to run. He knew how to protect himself. He knew how to get low. I just got this nightmare vision as soon as you said that of Michael Mayer, all six, five of them trying to run the ball and some safety coming off the edge and just going right for his knee. Because that's what you do when you're going to try to tackle a guy that's six five, over two hundred forty pounds. So I, uh, you know, I uh, that would not. I look, you got a two hundred fifteen pound incoming freshman back. You have a, a starting tailback who ran for thirteen touchdowns last year, and he's so short and stocky and powerful that he's really hard to to stop in those short yarded situations. You've got Logan Diggs. There's there's enough guys that Tyler Buckner. There's enough guys with experience running the ball that I would not want to take a chance. I mean, could you imagine how? how bad the coaches will get ripped if they put Michael Merritt running back and he got hurt. I mean, you know, I, we'd all blame you, Nick, to be honest with you. We would remember this. We would have this documented and we would send it to the proper authorities and let them know that you're the reason that that Michael Mayer got hurt. But yeah, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't personally want to do that, but I get where you're, I get where you're coming from. Michael Johnson says he could, if uh, talking about Foskey could have Myron has a good year on the other side. And I, and I think, and honestly, Michael, that's kind of the reason I think it'd be harder for Foskey because if Foskey's really good and Myron's really good, then what is a lot of times going to happen is Foskey's going to end up chasing the quarterbacks into the arms of guys like Foskey and Adam Yola. So I think that's part of it too is, you know, and, and we all know that all American lists are not made, all American voters are not people that sit around watching every game and, and actually doing real analysis. So you and I may be sitting here after a game saying, you know, Isaiah Foskey, was responsible for four sacks. He didn't have any of them. Well, all American voters just going to see zero sacks, and unfortunately, that's kind of that's kind of how it goes. Which is why I, I say it's so important to kind of come into the season with some expectation. And the only way to 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 go from nobody in the conversation to being a guy that is being voted as all Americans to have a monster year, monster production, because a lot of this still is about stats and, and who you play for. Tommy Leonard said he'd love for to Foskey to get there. I, I agree. Uh, Kenny Moore says I don't see Foskey can uh, see, can reach that status, but I would love to be wrong. So Kenny, here's my question for you: Are you just saying based in 2021 because of his inexperience or whatever else, or you just think he's not that good of a player? I'm curious to kind of kind of why you say you don't see Foskey uh, reaching that status. You know, it could be for the reasons I say or whatever else, but I, I'm curious to to what your your uh, your reasoning is for that technical. Technician is correct. Hit and the like and subscribe button. Easier than doing the dishes, dishes for all my married friends. It is definitely easier for that. Old Grimm says if Reese opens up the offense, will that spread the production to take away from Mayer? No, I don't really think so. And because see, to me, when I, when I think about opening up the offense, yes, the ball is going to be spread around a lot. But that's where I was coming from. In that, I don't know if his catch numbers would necessarily change. I think his yards his touchdowns would would increase and that's really what i'm looking for like i said he was sixth in the nation last year in, in in catches amongst tight ends so 42 catches is still a lot for a tight end if he's at 47 48 that's you know kyle eifert won the Mackey award and was a first team all-american with 50 catches so it's not like he needs a ton more catches i think the thing that kept kept michael is just the yards per catch and the total yards and the touchdowns well, if the ball is being spread around and Notre Dame's attacking the perimeter more, and this is what I say, the more you attack the perimeter with your quick game, with your screens, with your vertical games where, where you're attacking to the sidelines, you're attacking over the top, 
you're forcing teams to defend the whole width of the field. Now that creates more room for Michael Mayer to work. So now there's more opportunities for him to attack and, and have room to run. I also think that the way in which they use him is going to change. I, I At least I hope it does to where you're going to see him catching the ball down the field. And, and this is going to seem like a, a shot at the previous quarterback. It, it's not. But if you look at Jack Cohn's numbers and you look at Ian Book's numbers when it comes to attacking down the field, especially over the middle of the field, Jack Cohn was more willing based on the number of, of throws that they made for most of his than Ian Book was for most of his career. And Jack Cohn's also someone who who showed the willingness and the the fondness for attacking down the field to his tight end. And so I think that's something that that to me is also going to factor into it is do you have a quarterback that's more aggressive attacking down the field and attacking to his quarterback? And and you know, you look at the seam route that that uh that Jack Cohn hit early in the game to to George Takis. That's just not a throw that 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 Ian Book liked to make, especially to tight end. So, and it, that's just you know, every, and every quarterback's different. Every quarterback has different strengths and weaknesses and areas where he wants to you know go with the football. And you know that that was just one where Ian Book didn't necessarily love to to go there. But but Jack Cohn, he he liked to he liked to throw to the tight end, and he has no problem attacking down the field. So I think that factors into it enough. Alan English asks, any chance Tyree gets enough work to at least be on some watch lists? So not next year's. So what I think, Alan, is is barring if if Kyron Williams is hurt, you're not gonna I don't see like I don't see it being a situation like um North Carolina, for example, where you've got Michael Carter and Javante Williams both going forward for thousand yards. I don't think Notre Dame's gonna have that kind of split. Uh, this year I don't think they're going to have that kind of production overall but I also don't think that they're going to have that kind of split I think it'd be more of like a you know 1300 for Kyron and 700 for Tyree right I think it'd be more of that kind of split which isn't going to get him on any all-american radars but what that would do however to your to your question Alan is then I think we would go into 2022 with Chris Tyree on a lot of watch lists because they're going to say look he averaged almost seven yards a carry he had 700 yards he had a couple hundred receiving yards you know, he was a good, he had, a, he had a long kick return for a touchdown, right? Uh, and and so I think, and then we look at what Notre Dame's done in this offense, all that kind of stuff. And then you start getting, you've got, you're going to have probably at least three start returning starting offensive linemen coming back. You've got Michael Mayer. So I think that would get him on watch lists for the 2022 season. Omar says, I could see Cone sneaking in there if he outplays the quarterbacks with first round projections. Yes. Yeah, so you're on the same page with me as, it's not, it, it, that's his way of overcoming the lack of elite production, right? So if he throws for like 3,500 yards and like 31, 32 touchdowns, but he outplays Sam Howell and they beat North Carolina. If he outplays and, and, and they beat USC and Keaton Slovis, if he outplays Desmond Ritter, yeah, and Notre Dame's at least 10 and 2 or 11 and 1, 35 and 30 could get you all American honors because he'd have those big moment games. And I think that's the way that you can overcome the lack of just insane production that some of these quarterbacks are going to have this year. Tommy asks, uh, Brian, the state I'm going into starts with a V and only has one to two decent football players per year. You really are trying to, you know, so Tommy is a, a, a truck driver, right, buddy? And uh, headed to Virginia. So um, yeah, enjoy that. And there's lots of good football players there. Maybe you can stop by. Uh, no, I'm not going to say that because people will think I'm being serious. But uh, don't don't go to Bluefield, Virginia. 
Technical technician says, Brian, how powerful are regional biases in all American voting? I don't know if there's if there's bias in regional all American voting as much as it's more biased towards certain programs. You know, I mean, I think if you look at the Outland Trophy last year, I mean, with all due respect, I don't, I, I don't think Alex Leatherwood was anywhere close to being the most dominant offensive lineman in the country. But he played at Alabama. He's going to get the benefit of the doubt in certain ways. I think there's more bias that way. I haven't studied it enough to know if there's a regional bias. I'm not saying there isn't. I'm just saying I haven't noticed it, but I honestly haven't paid much attention to it. I think it has more to do with with you know who who the best teams are. And we've seen Pac-12 guys get love when they produce. Marcus Mariota won a Heisman in 2014. You know, Sam Darnold got a lot of love until Notre Dame smacked USC in the mouth. So I think that's a big part of it. Tony Stangle asked a question, and this is our last question, I believe. So if you have any other questions, get them in now. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up with Tony's question. So Tony Stangle says, this might be a huge stretch, but can Cone have a transfer season like Joe Burrow? Uh, In regards to production, no, I, I don't think so, because I don't think there's any way in heck that Notre Dame is going to open up their offense the way that LSU did. And look, if you want to talk about you, if you want to talk about what Notre Dame did and LSU did compared to what those programs were the year before, you know, I, I think you could make that. I think you can make that case that it could happen theoretically. So here's what I mean by that: Joe Burrow in 2018, which was his senior season in college. Uh, so yes, it was this. Mm, yeah, senior season. He played three years at Ohio State. That was the senior season. Yeah, he had 50 completed 57.8% of his passes. This is his first year as a starter. Threw for 2894 yards and 16 touchdowns. And that was uh that was in 13 games. Let me make sure I check that. That was in 13 games. So 16 touchdowns, five interceptions, 100 133.21 rating. If you look at Jack Cohn in his first season as a starter and this was as as a junior he threw for, in 14 games, 2,727 yards, which is about 100 less. He completed 69.6% of his passes. So he had about 167, I think is, if I'm doing the math correctly, fewer yards on 40 fewer attempts. So Joe Burrow averaged 7.6 yards per attempt. Jack Cohn averaged 8.0 yards per attempt. Jack, uh, Jack Cohn in 40 fewer attempts through 18 touchdown passes, same number of interceptions, and had a quarterback rating of 151.76 to Joe, to Joe Burrow's 133.21. Then they hired a new offensive coordinator, and the next year Joe Burrow went up to 76.3% completion rate, 5,671 yards and 60 touchdowns and only six interceptions. I don't see Jack Cohn making that kind of leap. Schematically, I don't see Notre Dame having a system that can, can – what would even allow a quarterback to have that level of production. I don't think that, um, I don't think that I, I look, I've said, I love Notre Dame's receivers. I think that they're very underrated, but they're, they don't have a Jamar chase or a Justin Jefferson. If we're being honest about that, I do think they can match the, U, the LSU run game and the running back, but I don't think that they have, you know, two bona fide first round draft picks at wide receiver on their roster. And, you know, and then you had another guy that was a second round pick. So I like Notre Dame's receiving core and from an ability to, as college football players, be very productive. But they aren't the elite players that, that LSU was was thrown out there in 2019. And I don't think that Jack Cohn has Joe Burrow's talent. I mean, I, I very high on Jack Cohn. Everybody knows that. I think Jack Cohn could be a really good quarterback for Notre Dame this year. 
but he's not a guy that I'm saying with a breakout year, he's going to be a first round draft pick. I don't see that. And, and and look, I thought Joe Burrow was going to be really good in 2019. I, I did. I mean, you could go back when I was at Blue and Gold at the time. When 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 they hired Joe Brady, when we did our preseason predictions for the website, I picked LSU to win the SEC and make it to the college football playoff because I thought Joe Burrow had the talent around him and had the talent as a quarterback to lead them to the, the playoff. I did not see, however, that he was going to throw for 5,600 yards and, and even then, if I look bef- the pre-2019 Joe Burrow, I still like that version better than Jack Cohn from a pure talent standpoint, even though Jack Cohn had better production. So I personally just don't see that type of s- statistical jump. But I'll tell you what, I would. N- there's nothing I would ever like to be more wrong about than what I just said. I would be so happy, so happy if the offense is that explosive. And if the receivers do step up into that big of a way, and if Jack Cohn goes out there and throws for, even if it's like 4,500 yards, uh, I would be so thrilled about that. I just, I don't see that happening. Not at, not at Notre Dame. Let's see here. Jay asks, Notre Dame will get the Tulsa transfer and he will be an All-American at Notre Dame. That's my dark horse dream scenario. No, I like that. Now, I'm a little bit skeptical about him picking Notre Dame, especially now that Texas is offered. Notre Dame like where they're at. That was before Texas is offered. And the reason I say Texas is because he's from Texas, and so to me that that's a little bit concerning for me. But I do think that maybe the familiarity with with uh, Marcus Freeman and, and Mike Mickens and what they did at Cincinnati could help Notre Dame. But yeah, I look. I but see, that's the kind of thing I'm, I'm talking about. Is he could come to Notre Dame, be really good, but it may not be him that gets the All American honors because teams are avoiding him and they're picking on Cam Hart, and Cam Hart makes a lot of plays. So even though we may say, hey, this kid was their better corner, this guy's the All-American because he had the better numbers. That's just how All-American list works. But I like where your head's at on that one. Not only are they going to get the kid, but he's going to have a great year. I like where your head's at, Jay. And uh, Jay also said that Kevin Austin could have a monster year. You never know. He's certainly capable of it. But look, this is my stance on Kevin Austin, and it'll be this way from now until he does something different. And, and that is with his injury and the fact that he's got six career interceptions, I am not going to be throwing all this – hype on Kevin Austin. Does he have the talent to go out and be a thousand yard receiver? Absolutely. hundred percent. Absolutely. We've seen two Notre Dame players in the last 15 years go from six catches one year to a thousand the next. That was Golden Tate had six catches uh, in 2007 and then went out and had 58 catches for over a thousand yards in 2008. We saw Will Fuller had six catches for like about 160 yards in 2013 and he went out and had 76 catches for over 1,000 yards in 2000, excuse me, 2014. We saw Echo St. Brown go from one catch in 2000, what was it, 2015, and he went out and had over 50 catches for 900-some yards. He would have gone over for 1,000 if Notre Dame would have made a bowl game, but they didn't make a bowl game that year. So we've seen it, but those were different situations. Those were guys who just weren't playing a lot because they were freshmen step into more prominent roles. We're talking about a kid who's coming off of two broken, a a broken, a twice broken foot that has just not played a lot of football. So I hope that he does have a big year and, and I think he's capable of it. So if anybody, you're hating on Kevin Austin, stop. The talent is there. It's just, I can't in good conscience as an analyst say that I expect him to be great this year when I don't even know how healthy he's going to be. Is he, is he going to be back to full speed? Can he stay healthy for a full season? I don't know the answer to that. If he does, 
if the answers to both of those are yes, then yeah, I could see him having a breakout year. Monster year, that'll be a little tougher because because back to what old Grimm said, I do think the ball is going to get spread around a little bit more this, this year. Michael Moore says, Brian, I love the show. It just gets better. You are the are, are the voice of Notre Dame football. I appreciate that very, very much, Michael, very, very much. And we're going to wrap things up with Matthew Ramirez. Matthew asks, what is a realistic record for Notre Dame this year? Matthew, I, I'm look, here's where I think Notre Dame is at now. To me, the, for Notre Dame, the floor is 10-2. and two. That should be the floor for Notre Dame from now moving forward, 10-2. and two. Worse than 10-2 and two in the regular season is unacceptable to me. When you look at a couple factors, number one, you are now going into year five of the post-2016 makeover, right? You've had nobody's left from that 2016 team. Everyone's gone. There's no, there's, I think there's not only like a couple coaches left from, from, from that team. Uh, Brian Kelly being one, Mike Elson being the other. That's it. I mean, you, you, you're 10 and three, right? You went nine and three, you're going 12 and 0, you're going 10 and two, you're going 10 and 0. There's no reason to be any worse than 10 and two. Say, so, well, they lost players, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. They went nine and three in 2017, lost Quentin Nelson, lost Mike McGlinchey, lost Josh Adams lost Niles Morgan, lost Greer Martini, lost some good football players in that 2017 team, then lost your your right guard in game five, a guy that was getting ready, was on track to have an All-American season in Alex Bars, and you still went out and went 12-0 the next year. You know, I mean, t- good teams lose players. Notre Dame is, should be in reloading mode, and you look at the schedule. This is the other part of it, and you, people say, well, you know, Notre Dame is, you know, their, their offensive line's this, and you know, the receivers are that and defense is this. Well, who's on the schedule is good enough to take advantage of that? What's the best defense their aim is going to face this year? Wisconsin? You know, I mean, there's not – it's not exactly like this is a juggernaut schedule either. So, you know, you say, well, the offensive line is going to – okay, is Florida State's defense going to be better than that? I mean, I don't I don't think so. Toledo, Purdue, um, Navy, Georgia Tech, like, you know, who, North Carolina? I mean – that's the thing I look at is you have to also look at the schedule. And when you look at the fact that Notre Dame does have a lot of talent coming back, the position really a lot of players, they're stepping in ta- guys that are just as talented, just don't have the experience. You've got a, a veteran quarterback that, that has led his team to a Rose bowl, led his, his college team to 10 wins. And Wisconsin went 10 and two in the regular season in 2008 19 with jack Cohn as the starting quarterback you've got plenty of receivers that have played a lot of snaps you've got arguably the best tight end in college football coming back you've got one of the best interior offensive linemen in college football coming back you've got a ton of talent coming back on defense against a schedule that's challenging but not super difficult so i think to me matthew i think when i say realistic to me that means what's the floor and and the floor for Notre Dame is 10 and 2 is 12 and 0 realistic sure it's realistic Am I predicting it? No, because that's hard to do. I mean, going 12 and 0 against any schedule is hard to do unless you're playing just a completely garbage schedule like BYU played this year. And they couldn't even go undefeated. They lost to Coastal Carolina. So, you know, and I've pointed this out in past shows of all the championships that Nick Saban has won, he's only had like two teams that went undefeated. That's it. I mean, he's won what, seven, eight national titles? So, what, nine, 11, 12, 15, 17? And in 20, and then he won one at LSU. So seven national titles. Of those seven national title teams, only two have been undefeated. 
and he hasn't had a whole lot of undefeated regular seasons. He only had like three, maybe even four regular season undefeated seasons. It's hard to go undefeated. You know, the year Clemson won their first national title, they didn't go undefeated in the regular season. They lost a five and eight, eight and five pit team. The next year, they went to the playoff with one loss. They lost to a four and eight Syracuse team. Ohio State lost to Purdue and Iowa in back to back years. So going undefeated is really hard. And so I won't say if they don't go 12 and 0, then, you know, Brian Kelly stinks or whatever. I mean, going undefeated is really hard. Could they be 12 and 0? Sure. I think 10 and 2, 11 and 1 is a more realistic expectation for Notre Dame this year. And if they do worse than 10 and 2, then something went wrong or they failed to live up to the expectations. There's no excuse, in my opinion, to be worse than 10 and 2. Um, and if you focus just on what Notre Dame lost, sure, that's fine. I get why you might be concerned, but you have to look at it in the context of who they play and the teams that they play and what those teams lost. And then the fact that Notre Dame already had an advantage, in my opinion, a significant advantage on all those teams from a talent standpoint. And now I believe from a coaching standpoint in a lot of different areas as well. Jay, we'll end with Jay's comment. Jay says this Notre Dame team will surprise us this year in a good way. They could be a playoff team with a more explosive offense and with a good, really good top 10 caliber defense. I agree, Jay. I think that this team certainly could be another playoff team. I do. I think that a couple teams are going to kind of come back down to earth a little bit. I think Alabama's going to still be really good. They're going to be a title contender uh, again. But are they going to blow people out the way they did last year? I don't see it. I think Clemson's going to take a little bit of a step back. They're still going to be the, the class of the ACC, but you know they're, they're more beatable now. And you've got some teams like – uh, North Carolina and Miami that are ascending and you've, you know, Ohio state is, I mean, that they've got a real tricky quarterback situation going on right now. They're going to start either a red shirt freshman or a true freshman. So there, there, there's some issues there. Now, again, they linemen coming back, running backs coming back, but they they've lost some players too. You've got some teams in the big 10 that are slowly ascending a little bit. You know, Oklahoma's going to be good, but I think they're going to get challenged by some Iowa state's going to challenge them. I think Texas is going to challenge them in individual games. So, I don't think there's going to be like three, four undefeated teams like we've seen in recent years. I, I just don't. I think there's going to be – it's going to be like it was, you know, three, four years ago before we started seeing this this recent string of undefeated teams making a playoff where most years you had one a bunch of one-loss teams get to the playoff. So I think it's going to be more like that. So 11-1 and one could get Notre Dame back to the playoff. But, you know, to me, I'm not quite there yet to put Notre Dame in the playoff, but that's because I haven't put anybody in the playoff yet because I'm still studying – what other teams have and have come back, you know, is Georgia going to finally be able to beat Alabama? Is can Texas A&M finally knock off Alabama? I don't see it, but you know, Jimbo's pretty confident in it. You know, is this the year that Penn state gets on track and beats Ohio state? I don't think so, but you know, I, I got a lot more studying to do of these other teams. Uh, and, and then also of course with, with Notre Dame. So uh, that's, that's where I'm at. I just want to say right now, the floor 10 and two, 10 and two or above is where Notre Dame should be this year. And I think that's something we should all be able to agree on. Um, and and not make excuses for anything lower than that. I think that's where Notre Dame should be. Last one, John Climax says, I like surprise All-Americans. That being said, what linebacker other than Kaiser could possibly earn an All-American with the D-line doing work? I see Marist having a chance to produce. My issue with a guy like Marist, for example, and the same thing with Shane Simon, John, is I think they're going to rotate too much to have the kind of All-American production that you need. Same with Drew White. I mean, look, Drew White's had like, like nine – almost 10 tackles for loss in each of the last two years, right? And you look at Drew's numbers. I'm actually trying to pull it up right now here. But uh, you look at Drew's numbers. I think he had nine tackles for loss last year. And he had, I think, eight tackles for loss the year before. I'm trying to pull it up right now. 
So last year, Drew White in 12 games had nine tackles for loss. In 2019, his first year as a starter, he had eight tackles. Well, that was right. He was playing a lot of snaps in those two years. Last year, he rotated a little bit more, so had nine tackles for loss. Well, he'd have to he'd have to get up to like to me 12, 13 tackles for loss, 100 tackles, uh, you know, two, three, four sacks, a couple interceptions to be on All American radars because he's not going to come in with the 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 discussion, the buzz around him. So he'd have to put up monster numbers. I don't think that those guys are going to be able to play enough volume snaps to get there. I think that I think the fact they're going to have such a rotation that, that I expect them to have uh, to me says that I expect I expect those linebackers to not quite produce to the level individually. Now, I think what we're going to look at and take the All-American conversation out of this, John, I think if we look at the production from the Will linebacker position and the Mike linebacker position, I think we're all going to be really impressed with the overall production from the units. But I don't think there's going to be – I think the un, the production is going to be spread out a little bit more than, than it is at Rover, where I expect Jack Kaiser to be the primary producer of production there. And then when you consider what, what they're going to face, I think there's a lot of games he's going to have a chance to have a lot, a lot of production. So Notre Dame 2164, thanks for joining the show. Late, was that a doctor's appointment? No worries. Appreciate you joining late, uh, better late than never, but we are wrapping up now. So we are going to, that's going to be it for today. I appreciate everybody joining the show. Please, 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 before you leave, hit the like button, hit the subscribe button. If you haven't already done so, share this podcast and all of our other podcasts with, with your friends and your other Notre Dame family members and tell them about what we're doing. Okay. So we can grow this community and really get people excited. I want to keep things rolling through the summer. I don't want us to slow down during the summer. So we need to have everybody as part of it and uh, and get rolling. So um, thank you for joining the show today. Like, subscribe, notifications bell, check out irishbreakdown.com. And as I said th- before, uh, to be on the lookout for that. Matt, I am not doing another one today. We did a second podcast last night at 8 o'clock. We, did, we broke down the 2022 wide receiver board. So if you weren't there for that, check that out. You'll see that on the channel. So we, we did that last night. But... Last week we did a Thursday night show because I could not do one on Wednesday night, but that night show is going to be on Wednesdays uh, moving forward. So we had that last night. So everybody, thank you for joining me today. Check out irishbreakdown.com. Make sure you are locked in tomorrow. I'll have an offensive hot board breaking down where I think things stand with Notre Dame recruits. And then, of course, tomorrow at the Irish Breakdown YouTube channel, beginning at 1 o'clock Eastern, we will have our Friday free-for-all mailbag. So make sure you join us for that. We appreciate all of your support, all of your time. We'll talk to you again very, very soon.
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.